Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Songs That Save Me. I'm your host Ross James. Hope everybody's doing all right out there. I hope you guys liked last week's episode with Phil Lesh. Uh, We were talking about the influence that um, different black musicians have had on him over the years and he told some incredible stories. So if if you missed that one, go back and check it out. And today on the program, I've got Robert Randolph. And, uh, you know, I met Robert four or five years ago when he started playing with us with Phil. And uh, it's really cool to hear his perspective right now. We talk about where he came from uh, playing music in the church and and going out and, and eventually touring the world with, you know, Eric Clapton and his own band and playing with Phil, playing with Warren Haynes and, and discovering all this, all this different music that he didn't really know about when he was, when he was really in the church primarily. We also get into uh, a lot of discussions about what's going on in our country right now and what's been going on in our country for hundreds of years. And it's a really great perspective. And we talk about how music has the ability to unify us and it's really what we need right now. And all in all, it's a, it's a really great conversation. I'm, I'm glad that he joined me for the show, and I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you're liking the podcast, go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram, at Songs That Saved Me. Leave us a review here in the Apple Podcast Store, and if you feel like uh, helping to keep this show commercial-free for the foreseeable future, go on to patreon.com slash songs that saved me. Become a member of the show. And there'll be some exclusive stuff coming up there in the very near future. And uh, yeah, we'll try to keep it commercial free for you. Well, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Robert Randolph. Right. Robert, what's happening, man? How are you holding up today? What's up, brother? I'm trying to hold up, man. You know, (laughs) just hanging, man. Just ready to play some music live for somebody, you know, and trying to, (laughs) you know, instead of playing to the screens and... Oh my Split god! Screens. Have you been doing? I know. Are you so sick of playing to your computer screen, man? I really <laughs> am. You know, it's really, it's really starting to get to me. You know, it's like yeah. it's not the same. You know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's like, you know, I was just telling somebody yesterday that you know, it's like this whole pandemic is like taking all of us musicians like back to when we first started playing. You know, it was kind of like, <laughs> it's like you know, let's just play for anybody on the other side of the screen and it's like you sit at home and you practice and you play and you know and it's kind of like just that it's like no interaction with anybody and you're not sure if it's actually good just like and you like play it on the screen and you're like how was that how does it sound am i all right is this okay can you hear and you know uh, you feel like a crazy person you're like talking to nobody you know i know man it's crazy you know, such a big part of your thing and such a like one of the things I love about hearing you and playing with you is it's it's so much about the energy in the room and the energy of the crowd. And, you know, they lift you up and you lift them up and it's this whole big thing. So, you know, it's it's so hard to do that playing on on Instagram or Facebook or any of that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, man, it's like, you know. Every, every and then you're getting all these emails and it's kind of like you want to support everybody you know and it's like I, it's kind of weird like i'm like stuck in like just working on my house and figuring out and finally seeing how much work is needs to be done around my house you know <laughs> yeah and yeah. it's every little thing you're like painting 
you know, fixing the outside, doing the lawn, doing the flowers and yeah. garden and, you know, cooking on the grill every day. You know, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of weird. I mean, yeah. it, it's weird. I've been, I've been kind of getting into the gardening thing and, you know, cooking all the time. And there are like parts of it that I've been digging, you know, just having this much time to kind of slow down. Yeah, man. There's, there's a positive to it, but it's like, I don't know. It, 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 doing the music thing over the computer can definitely wear you out. You know, have you have you been writing at all or anything like that during this? Yeah, we've been writing and you know doing a bunch of songs over, you know, online and kind of doing a bunch uh-huh. of stuff and and coming up with demos and sending tracks back and forth and you know yeah. like because I don't even even have like a recording setup at my house. It's just like right. You know, it's just basically like, hey, you know, uh, you know, hold the phone up to the microphone, you know, like <laughs> play, you know, play to the track on the iPad and then I'll hold the yeah. phone up to the microphone and you will re-record that, you know, <laughs> but like keep quiet. Uh, don't say much, you know, I'd love to hear kind of about some of your influences, you know, and when you started playing pedal steel and I think you know, for a lot of people, uh, you know, and, and for me, you know, when I first started, cause I started playing pedal steel like 10 or 15 years ago or something. And I came at it from the country music kind of scene, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people associate it with it. And a lot of people don't even know about sacred steel and that kind of, kind of thing. So I'd love to, you know, hear like when you started playing that instrument and some of the influences that you had, do you want to start with the number one, maybe? Well, for me, you know, growing up in my church, you know, playing my music, you know, it was like, you know, it's like I didn't, you know, we really was kind of much sort of like, uh, really like sort of closed in, you know, we were just sort of just playing, you know, we kind of had our own little chitlin circuit in the church, you know, in the sacred steel movement to where, you know, because what really happened before me, guys, you know, really what all the older guys who were like my pioneers going all the way back to the 1930s were never allowed to leave yeah. the church and play out in the, in the um, for the world, I would say, you know, as, as they would say, you know, you can't go because out. Because of like a, like the church, it was a, was that the church's kind of thing or yeah. was that society's kind of thing? Well, no, it it's just thing? like, you know, what happened, it's just an old time church mentality that, you know, actually anybody that's ever come from church, whether it's Al Green, Aretha Franklin and all, you know, so forth, you know, you could keep naming all of the artists, Sam Cooke, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but our church kind of, you know, uh, you know, drag drug that all the way up until the nineties, man, you know, with, with, with a lot of guys. So the world actually never got to see the great guys who I grew up watching that, that have died off, you know, who are my, who mm-hmm. are like my muddy waters and our Robert Johnson's. Cause like my great grandparents, my grandparents and my parents all grew up watching these guys. I grew up watching them. And it was just like a chitlin circuit, you know, where the church, it was an organization that started in Florida and wound up like currently today, it's in like sort of every major city on the East Coast from Florida all the way up to Boston, to the Midwest, Detroit, Chicago, Milwaukee, and all those places and then in the West Coast. So, you know, before touring, like that was our sort of touring. It was like, hey, we got to go play at the church in South Carolina. We got to go play in North Carolina. We got to go play it. 
you know, in Detroit, Michigan and Chicago. So that was a thing, man, you know, and so I grew up watching those guys only really wanting to play like those guys. And then uh, like sort of years went by and, you know, one of my cousins gave me a tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan. And it was like mm. pride and joy. And, and he gave, it was actually the greatest hits. But I remember first putting that on when I was 17. You know, I, my father, I, you know, I got my license. I'm driving around and I'm blasting that all in like the ghettos, you know, and in, in the hood, man. You know, and everybody's like, what the hell is that you're listening to, man? What the hell is that guitar crap you're listening to, man? You know, everybody else supposed to be playing Biggie and Tupac back then. And, you know. Yeah, all yeah. the rap music and hip hop and R&B, you know, and I'm rolling up like, yo, I'm listening to some Stevie Ray Vaughan, man. <laughs> you know, and they, you know, because it was funny. I was sort of just like the neighborhood sort of, you know, musician guy, you know, everybody come over and do mm -hmm. their rap songs. And I'll be like trying to play and beatbox and play lap steel, pedal steel guitar. And so it was kind of like uh -huh. a funny thing, you know, when I was 16, 17. So anyway. So Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. for me, was like the early, really early influence for me that kind of secular wise, that really got me into all of this other music, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was like the first thing. And then, you know, we, we had had a, a Sacred Steel convention in 1998, it was. It was the first Sacred Steel convention that we just threw together, right? And it was like yeah. all of the players from my church. So we all did that. And and I remember meeting my, would, would, which would become my first manager, a, a guy named Jim Markle. He was from Florida and he was sort of following the, um, the Sacred Steel movement as it was starting to get documented in those times and in the, in the 90s. You know, so he was, you know, we were having the same kind of sort of conversation. I was like, well, I don't really know much music, you know, outside of, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan and listen to some jazz and R&B. But it was like smooth jazz, you know, and gospel yeah. music and church music. So he was like, really? I was like, yeah, man. So, you know, I got home and about three weeks later, there's like these three huge boxes full of CDs arrive in the mail. <laughs> and it was like everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was like, what, what's in there? I mean, bro, it was like, you know, James Brown. It was like the band. It was Zeppelin and it was Hendrix and uh, Grateful Dead and Allman Brothers. And just, you know. Uh, and you'd never heard any of that stuff. Never heard. I mean, James Brown, <laughs> yes. You know, if you black, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was like James Brown <laughs> and Sly Stone and that kind of thing. You know, you, you know, uh -huh. but it's not like I ever sat down and really listened to him, you know. So, I mean, you know, even still to this day, man, I'm still, I still have like those CDs and every once in a while, I like to be yeah. shuffling through the box to see like, you know, what I didn't listen to. And it's like still so much, you know, yeah. because I, you know, through the years, I kind of get stuck in one phase and I'm like, wow, what is this? Wow. I'm discovering. I remember like for a while, like from like 2000, like I would say, three four and five man it was like all aerosmith like aerosmith i was like this is the greatest band 
I yeah. love Aerosmith, man. Yeah, right? And then it was like the thing, man. And, so many good songs. And yeah. then after Aerosmith, it was, it was weird. So one year, I want to say it was 2005, man. We did the Warren Haynes Christmas Jam. And, and it was like, you know, it was the first time I ever got to meet Phil Lesh, right? And it was like Phil Lesh was there. And because all through, like, when I first started playing out, all of, like, the the hippies and, like, all of the fans of, like, widespread panic and the Grateful Dead and fishing. So all of those fans would be like, man, have you ever heard Jerry Garcia playing the pedal steel? Have you ever heard of Grateful Dead? We need, you should cover this Grateful Dead song. And I was like, oh, I don't want to listen to that, man. What are you doing? I'm listening to Aerosmith, right? So <laughs> as we were, you know, I, I wind up being on a plane, leaving the Christmas jam, right? So, and I'm sitting right. next to Phil Lesh, just randomly on a small little plane. I forget what we were connected to. And I remember I was like hungover. I hadn't slept all night because we partied all night and then caught like the 8 a.m. flight or whatever it was. So I'm sitting yeah. next to Phil Lesh and he was like, just, you know, he was just, we were just talking and he was telling me the whole history of the Grateful Dead. And he was just explaining to me the music approach and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, wow, man. You know, I mean, I had I didn't know anything about the Grateful Dead, really, other than like, you know, mm-hmm. they were this band who would just travel the world and, you know, whatever. Right. Had this big scene and all of that. But I was I never really sat and listened to the Grateful Dead. So mm-hmm. same thing, man. Like two weeks later, I get in the mail this whole like the whole Grateful Dead anthology. Right. That <laughs> Phil Lesh had sent me. Right. <laughs> Uh, that came out. And I remember sitting there like, what the hell? This is the hardest damn music to play, right? <laughs> I'm like, and I'm sitting here. I remember calling my my other manager. So I had two co-managers at that time. And, and he was the biggest, like, Grateful Dead fan, right? So he would always try to sort of force me, you go to his house and he'd be listening to Grateful Dead, right? So when I told him, he was like, oh, man, that's so great. You got to learn how to play that stuff, man. You got to listen. He was like, oh, man. And I was like, and I remember sitting down on a plane. I'm like, this is the damn hardest music. Where does it go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's never the same thing the second time around, man. You know, <laughs> the chorus is like a new verse and the verse is like the chorus and the, the, the chorus are all different, you know. But I remember sitting there. And then at the same time that year, I remember going on tour with Eric Clapton. And, he, mm-hmm. and it just so ran. And I, I kind of asked him, I was like, man, you ever listen to this Grateful Dead stuff? He was like, wow, is that what you're listening to now? It's like, he's like, man, <laughs> like, those guys were the professors when we were growing up, man. We like, we all tried to write songs like that, man. We learned from Jerry and all those guys. I was like, well, geez, this is the hardest damn music, man. He said, oh, my. <laughs> and his Eric Clapton's thing was like, well, it's going to take you forever to figure that stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> And like, you know, so, yeah, so that was like the phase, man. You know, I kind of went through that. And and I remember like all through the years, like the fans would be like, you know, because, you know, we had Robert Randolph and a family band, right? So, and all the fans would be like, come on, man, play some Grateful Dead. Because I'm like, man, I'm not about to fuck these songs up, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, that's the whole point, man. You just do your own version, man. Everybody that's, else is done it. That's the whole point. It's like, no, you're supposed to, like, do your own version of them. I'm like, I don't know, man, you know? <laughs> so well, when, did you first, when did you first play with Phil? Man, the first time I... 
Well, I think during that Christmas jam, we had did like some super jam stuff kind of sure, like, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean like but, in his band playing those tunes. Now, nah, man, the first time was like when I met you. That was the first time. It was, like, it was recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, playing Interesting. with. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, like all through the years, like Modesky and, yeah, yeah. and Luther Dickinson and all those guys would always like, yeah, man, we've been playing with Phil, man. He's like, man, it's some crazy stuff, man. He's like, <laughs> it's a long day. <laughs> it's a long yeah, day. No and you don't really that. know what songs and you're going to play, but it's great, man. It's fun. And, you know. And so, yeah, man, you know, so playing with Phil, that was like, for me, like all recently in the last, what, what was it? Like four years or something, right? The yeah, last four or five, four or five years. years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's really what it was for me. So it was all these different now, do you, music. Do you, Go ahead. Do you play, do you play any of those tunes? Have you like taken any of that stuff or has it changed the way you do your show or anything like that? Oh, totally, man. It totally changed the way I do my show. And it's kind of helped me sort of improvise more and, and like sort of mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, you record a song and then you go and perform the song. But live has kind of helped us kind of go into these other, you know, Grateful Dead modes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it's like you get a video game. You're like, hit the cheat code, man. We're going to go, man. It's the, ne- <laughs> the never ending song, man. Let's like keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's OK, too. Do that, too. Yeah, let's add that. So when we get to sound check, we all like look forward to like seeing how we can stretch each song out that we've kind of, you know, made a three and a half minute version of on the record and then, you know, trying to turn it into nine minutes or whatever, you know. So, but yeah, man, so all of that sort of kind of, and I kind of really embraced it because it's kind of like, you know, because like going back to church, it's like, that's how we used to do. We used to jam, just you just mm-hmm. jam and, and go to another thing and jam again and go to another thing and jam again. And then I kind of got out of that mode and just started like kind of doing these sort of confined songs of mm-hmm. like, you know, four chords or whatever, right? Right, right. So going back into that and really learning to, to appreciate it more and, this, and really playing with Phil and friends and and all of that, right? Billy and the kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Doing mm-hmm. that was like, it just kind of helped me like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like this is actually how music's supposed to be live. You know, you're supposed to, yeah. here's the song. Okay. Let's see how it goes. And let's just still keep it a song and let's still let it make sense. But like, let's, let's let it build and grow. You know, that's, that's the live, that's the great part of the live music experience, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you bring it back to church because it really is, when it's happening the right way, it's a totally spiritual thing. Oh man, and you know? that's and and see, and that's the one thing that I've sort of learned and and really tried to share as much as I can with so many people out there. And it's like, you know, like church, you know, right? Regardless of really what religion you're in, right? When you go, when somebody say, "I'm going to a synagogue," or, "I'm going to church," or, "I'm going to a mosque," or, "I'm going," you know, Jehovah Witness, or I'm going to go, right, whatever it is. It's all about people together, right, sharing this certain joy, right? Mm-hmm. So concerts are church, you know? Live concerts, that is church. I mean, you go there, people, you, you know, the musicians play the song, right? Everybody sings the song. People are laughing. People are joyful. 
people are crying, people are dancing, you know, and it's like, it's all of the emotions of pure joy and people have been uplifted, you know? So that's really, so I've shared that with people like, you know, so for me growing up in sort of what you call a quote unquote Pentecostal church, you know, and I go and Mm -hmm. I tell these people, right. Many of them in my family and friends and people I've grown up with and extended family. It's like, it's like, Hey man, like, I am having church out there with these folks, you know, there's more love out there than it is in here, you know? (laughs) And I've shared that because I've met so many different people, you know, like our church was like an all black church. Right. I mean, that's just the way it's been. It's not like, you know, white people never allowed. It's just, you know, my whole life I played in front of all black people, right. Learning church. Uh And so being out here, right. And many people, you know, you could come across many people that's like, you're not, you know, you really don't have God in your heart. You really, you know, you get some of the nastiest mean people, you know. Meanwhile, you're out here mm-hmm. playing concerts and it's like all love. It's all joy. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I've met hundreds and thousands of great people, you know, <laughs> all through these yeah, 19, 20 years of playing music. And like, that is what's pure joy, you know. I mean, the stories and many times, you know, we've written songs and we played them live or people listen to them on record. I mean, I've gotten thousands of emails and messages over the years of how people were down and out. They wanted to commit suicide. They wanted to leave their wife or girlfriend or whatever it is. And it just sort of brought them back, you know, to 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 want, wanting to to be alive again and wanting to be a new person you know, wanting to, you know, spiritually be uplifted, you know, and whatever positive way that is, you know, wanting to help people. So for me, that's the most sort of satisfying thing, you know, compliments and, you know, that you've helped somebody, you know, find a new life or become another person. They didn't like themselves. So they formed a new, a new better person, which, you know, that's the goal we all want, you know, in life, you know? we learn from our mistakes and we grow, you know, and you know, when we plan on stage, you know, you become this family, no matter who the band is, you know, you share that joy, you know, and it's like, Oh wow. You play that. I play this. And you smile at each other because it's like unexpected. (laughs) It's like, Oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, music has such an incredible way, like to to bring people together, uh, whether they're the musicians on stage or the people listening and everybody connected like that. And, you know, I, when I, I talked to Phil last week and he was talking about seeing, uh, Coltrane in 62 and West Montgomery sat in. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I asked him back then, you know, if, 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 just because of every all the bullshit that's going on in our country right now, you know, like if if he ever thought of 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 them, if if race ever came into his mind, you know, and his response was, "These were the gods walking the earth. It didn't matter what color they were," you know, and it was such a beautiful way to answer that question. And like, I wonder, you know, you growing up in a primarily black church, playing music for primarily black people, and then you come out and you kind of enter this this jam scene, which can like tend to lean a little bit more like white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you notice a difference playing music for them or it's still this beautiful celebration, you know? Uh, Wait, say that one more time. I'm sorry. I missed the last part. Just like, 
yeah, just like if you notice, like if, if there's any difference you doing your thing uh, in front of a primarily black crowd versus, you know, a primarily white crowd. Is it even a thing that enters your mind or you're just doing your thing? Man, you know, it's no, man, you know, it's kind of, you know, what's weird is like, you know, I kind of feel like it's really like sort of, you know, I'm just fulfilling a mission that God has put me on, you know, and, you know, like I said, like the, the whole sacred steel movement was, was hidden in our church for 90 years, you know, so yeah. many people, you know, there were many great players that died. I mean, especially, you know, we call them like the famous, the, the famous four, you know, it was Henry right. Nelson, you know, Lorenzo Harrison, Sonny Treadway, right. And like, like we grew up listening to these guys and these guys were like some of the baddest, they would have been huge rock stars, man. You know, huge, yeah. Yeah. just big stars, big music stars, you know, but they could never leave the church. So, so anyway, even though when I decided to leave the church, whatever, when I was 20, 21 years old and start playing out, you know, for these fans, so-called, they call, used to call themselves the New York City freaks, you know, they're like the hippies and the, you know, I remember, and I remember coming home and my father's like, where you been? You smell like smoke and drinking and so on. I'm like, man, I just played a bar, man. It was all these white people. You should have seen them dancing <laughs> and smiling and happy, man. We jammed for like three and a half hours. He was like, what? I was like, yeah. He's like, wow, they actually liked it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, wow, okay, well, all right. Well, I'm glad you had fun. He's like, man, that's interesting. So, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's kind of sharing this, you know, God kind of gave us this style of playing and a style of music that was always hidden. It's sort of like the Buena Vista Social Club, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. in the last 20 or so years, you know, we, you know, I've been all around the world like I said, sharing this music, sharing the sound, helping it influence many of the other guitar players that, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen some like Eric Clapton and Carlos Santana and the Allman Brothers and Derek and Warren and, and just many guitar players are like, wow, how do you do that? What does that move? What is that? What is this? What is that? And like, you know, and it's kind of you sharing this information so it yeah. can continue to live on, you know, in these these single note vocal sounds and vocal melodies. So that's really, uh, it's just a joy, man. I mean, I don't think about that now. I mean, look, I've been yeah. now, it's like I've been playing out here longer than I have in church now. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I go back to church and I get freaked out. It's like, man, is there any white people in here, man? Like, you guys gonna allow to get some white people in here, man? You guys gonna go out in the street, man, or what, you know? So, you know, but but, you know, I mean, What's crazy is it's like living in this time that we're in, you know, even, you know, like many people would call this a dark time. And I just call mm -hmm. it the next phase of history. Like you're going to read about 2020 and all of what's going down, like in a history books, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Just like, you know, yeah. we sit and we, you know, you, we grew up at school and you talk about like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King yeah. and Booker T and I mean, not, not Booker T, but, um, uh, um, you know, all the Malcolm X and this one and that one. It's yeah, like right. people are going to talk about this movement, which is now, you know, when you talk about those guys, the civil rights movement and, you know, going through segregation and white fountain, colored fountain, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, now it's like 
wow, look at all of these white and black people and actually people from all around the world, you know, yeah. protesting and coming together for racial injustice and inequalities and all these different things, man. Like, it's like, this is the new history book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, and I, I hope it's like the last chapter in this because it, it just blows my mind that it's still this thing that well, hangs over us and it's just like part of this entire country and the leadership in this country, so-called leadership. You well, know, it's just like, well, unfortunately, you know, you know, as I heard one guy say, America was built on this. So this is who we are. Yeah. You know, we were built on all of these, you know, uh, 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 racist things. People just over mm -hmm. time have come, you know, we've, you know, we've gotten closer and closer and closer and closer to, you know, equality, you know, and living, you know, in this sort of colorblind society, in this colorblind world to where we all just accept the fact. I mean, it's kind of weird that you have all of these counter protests, right? And you have all of these things going and everybody's just like, wow, I've never seen such, such resentment over justice and equality. Like what's going on? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All we're asking for is to be treated equal, you know, which is the same yeah. thing we've been asking for for God knows how many hundreds of years already, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I tell many people, it's like, look, man, like, you know, you know, because I got many white friends and I got many friends as Republicans and Democrats mm -hmm. and they vote for this one and you vote for that one. It's like, you know, you'll be arguing all day that the cows come up. But I remind them, I say, mm -hmm. guys, listen, regardless of what's going on, right? My family has already done Ancestry.com, right? My family comes from the Randolph Plantation in Virginia, right? It came from the west of Africa, right? I want you to understand something. We have no clue, right, who our family was before we came here, <laughs> right? There's hmm. no, in the 1700s, sir, madam, you know, Ubuntu from, <laughs> you know, the West of Africa, King so-and-so, right. right? We have no clue. It's the lost people. And all we know is we came in, we were sold to the Randolph plantations. The reason why my last name is Randolph, <laughs> mm. right? And it's a reason why my great aunts and some of my uncles were half white and light, very light, light, light skin with different color hair, right? Mm. Like, so, mm. Like my grandmother and my grandfathers used to tell us all of the stories. Like, so these are not made up stories, right? Like I got family that could tell you about lynchings, how they had to stay a certain place because the whole town, not some of the town, right? The whole town had to go and watch a lynching or a hanging or somebody get their nuts cut off. Somebody get their foot cut off, right? These are real events. So, when I tell people that, I'm like, we're just moving closer and closer away from further and further away from those times. But like, like I said, just like I have grandmothers and grandfathers and, you know, my grandmother and all of her sisters are 86 and up all the way up to 95. Mm -hmm. Right. And they have all of these firsthand stories. Right. On both sides, my mother and my father's side of the family. Right. So being that you have all of this stuff out there. So, so does the, the racist people that stood around at those times and did nothing and yeah. watch or took part of it, right? So, like, 
and, and and then also I've had many white people like come to me and like, man, I got to tell you, you know, I feel so bad, but you know, I just want to tell you, actually one guy was like, listen, I feel so bad, man. You know, yeah, I just got to tell you, man, my, my, my grandfather, great grandfather owned plantations, man. And, and I knew all the stuff that was going on and so on, so on, so on, so on. But you know, me and some of my brothers and everybody, we broke that cycle, man. And we just been trying to wow. do, you know, so yeah, there's many people, kids, and, and like, as you see now, this is the new movement of what we're going through, you know, and I had to explain mm-hmm. that to people, you know, like, like doing a civil rights movement, my, all of those people were young, I explained to them, I said, like, MLK and those guys was at 40 and, and 50 years old, those guys were all 20, and you know what I'm saying, like, yeah. all of the preachers at that time were all 20 and 30 years old and teenagers, yeah, yeah. many of them left their homes. You know what I'm saying? And don't forget, like, you know, when the, when, the, when, the, when the big thing happened and the big killing happened in Selma, right? Don't forget, mm-hmm. it's like social media today. Everybody was telling their stories, right? People would go and they had family. They would escape and they would come up north. They're like, can you believe they're lynching people and they're shooting people for protesting, from drinking out the white fountain and all this kind of stuff. But until mm-hmm. the film crew was there and... Those police officers were on one side of the bridge. And when those people came across that bridge, the black folks came across the bridge, they all gunned them down. So until America saw that was when things started to change. So now yeah. with all of these camera phones and all of these things out now with the George Floyd thing, right? It's just finally many white people have seen and they're starting to understand. But this is yeah. common in the black neighborhood, right? We this has been going on forever. We all got parents, uncles, cousins, brothers, friends. We went to high school with. All these things have happened. We've seen this. We all know. You know what I'm saying? And I explained yeah. it to my Jewish neighbor. I was I was like, listen. I was like, imagine like, right? I'm sure you guys go to the Jewish synagogue and you go, you know, and and you guys get together and you guys all all of you guys would know who the anti semites are, right? You would know who's Okay, so for black people, we all know who the crooked cops are. <laughs> you know what I mean? We all get together and like, can you believe they shot another person and all he did it was so and so and so. Can you believe they beat another person to death? Like, you know, so it's been common. So we've been crying out and trying to get things, you know, you know, people to sort of join the cause and sort of get this thing to stop for, you know, yeah. years and years and years and years and years. So finally, you know, the world is coming together, you know, and, and of course the media wants to focus on looters and rioters, which is like the 1% of all the people that's out there trying to look for equality and and justice and change some of these damn laws and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, the biggest, thing that one of the biggest things that I've taken away from this this moment of change that we're in the middle of right now is just the idea that you know for 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 a white person it's not okay just to not be racist anymore you you know you can't like be silent and and believe you know in what's right you have to be vocal and fight for it you know and and that's what's so promising is seeing so much more of that now like you look you look back at like because i mean like you said this has been going on forever and there's a lot more accountability now and a lot more 
um, you know, record of it with, with cameras and all that kind of shit. But yeah, you look back at like, uh, some of the shit that was going on in New York in the nineties, in the, in the eighties and nineties and, and some of those killings and stuff like that. And the protests were a lot smaller and they were primarily black people. Yeah, of course. Protests, yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, and it's, 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 it's Al Sharpton saying the same stuff. No justice, no peace. The same, he's fighting the same fight. Oh yeah. For, his entire life but now now the protests are so much bigger and there's people from all over the world like you're saying and that's what gives me hope right now you know that people aren't just gonna uh sit back and and feel one way or the other they're gonna like actively participate and that's what we need yeah well what needs to happen is people need to like keep going and and like i tell me because look like look and i tell people like these stereotypes right have a long way to go because don't forget many of these people, right? Both black, white, Chinese, Asian, you know, whatever you want to say, everybody has a stereotype toward the other race because that's how the world got to where we are today. Right. Mm -hmm. And what happened was many people went into hiding and many people are hiding. Right. So like all these stereotypes, types are still out there and i tell people like what's what's going on now is like we have to fight to make sure right these people whoever you are hey you want to go be a racist and go be in your house and get your little group together and do whatever the hell you want to do whatever fine i don't care right right but bottom line is you can't be in office see that's what affects things you know and and affects the growth of the movement i mean look at us what are we out here protesting we're protesting, like, why can't things be equal? We want to change things. The whole world, we want to change things. But it's certain people in certain offices all over the world, especially in this country, right, that mm. that just want to keep feeding into these, you know, the one-sided agenda or racist agenda. And But then you'll get people go, I'm not racist. I just want... Mm. So I'm like, well, I'm, you know, and one guy had this, you know, I like to have real conversations. I like to really know yeah. what a person's <laughs> thinking. I'm like, listen, you can be honest with me. You, you don't have to hide nothing from me, right? You're not going to offend me because, hey, listen, I, li- I like to know who exactly who you are. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I've had many people go, I just don't want, I just don't, those black people are going to take my jobs. It's like, take what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? It's like, so that's what a lot of people fear now, you know, they're fearing that, like, you know, and, and I've gotten this from a lot of like, and don't forget, these are like older people we're talking about, right? Not the younger people, right? And I always, and I have a thing that I tell people, I'm like, listen, the world only changes what younger people inventing and moving things along. Older people are going to be stuck in their ways. That's just the way it's always been. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, so... And, and and check this out. So I explained it. I'm like, I'm like, for example, I'm like, I'm like, you guys understand that, like, you know, during the 60s and the 70s, the Grateful Dead, Hendrix, John Lennon and the Beatles, Stevie Wonder, uh, uh, all of these are James Brown. These guys were all young artists, right? Trying to write songs. They were the young, biggest artists in the whole entire world. So it would be equal to Drake and Mariah Carey and Beyonce and Jay-Z and all of them writing songs right for equality and justice and wanting to change things you see what i'm saying 
So, yeah, yeah. and like that, and we actually need more of that from our biggest music stars. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like en- enough with all of this, like clownery and all of this carrying on that these guys decided to make with lyrics and so forth. You know, talk about some real shit. Yeah. So, and that's really the, the, and I think that's the difference, you know, and like people out there promoting this music. And I guarantee you, if like those guys, if the Drakes and Beyonce's and all of them decided that they want to just uh, uh, do a whole record of, uh, of come together and, uh, you know, they would mm-hmm. take them off the main platform. They would find somebody yeah, will find a way to be. Do like, you think that's the reason? You think it's a, it's it's the business side of things? You think people are scared to take a risk? Why why do you think it is? Well, you know, to, and to be honest with you, I've had this conversation with a record exec, right? And mm-hmm. he actually told me, and I'm like, because what happened was I brought this young rap group, right? I mean, they had the whole thing. They had the looks. They had the, the sound. They could all the talented, right? And the guy, you know, says to me like. Robert, that's not what pe- that's not what your people want to hear. They don't want to hear positive rap. They want to hear about all of the, the drugs and the gang banging and the shootings and the the holes and stuff. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that's what you dudes think, huh? Wow. <laughs> yeah, like I said, hey, I like I'd rather for somebody to be honest with me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, wow. I'm like, that's funny, man. You know? <sighs> Shit, yeah. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, I mean, it's all fucking crazy, man. You know? And I think it's interesting, you know, the first two kinds of kind of periods or, or influences that you talked about. One is Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan, who's a, a white guy who's, like, totally influenced by black guitarists and blues music and all of that kind of thing. And then we talked about the Grateful Dead a little bit. And one thing, you know, I was talking with Adam McDougal the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he, uh, we were talking about the interview that I did with Phil and uh, how a lot of the jam bands today, you know, Phil's talking about Count Basie and Thelonious Monk and Coltrane and Miles Davis and all the, all this great music. And, you know, that's what made the Grateful Dead what they were you know and and um a regular from terrapin this guy james super nice guy he wrote me a, a, an email after that interview came out and it was just sort of talking about the point that so many of the tunes that the dead did that weren't original tunes were originally done by black musicians right like you know stealing and minglewood blues and samson and delilah and all those tunes came from black musicians so Mm -hmm. a lot of these jam bands today listen to the grateful dead as their inspiration but don't take into account where they that sound came from you know which is a total mishmash of all this great uh blues and gospel music and and bluegrass music and country music you know it's this like melting pot of american music and that's what the grateful dead were so you know i find it interesting that you sort of picked those kinds of two things to talk about. I'm wondering what might be a third one, maybe something you're listening to more recently uh, that, that comes to mind as being super powerful and helping you through this crazy life. Uh, well, you know, what's funny, man, is I've actually gone during the whole quarantine. I've actually gone and listened to a lot of these old songs, you know, these artists that sort of helped change 
the narrative of the world and help you know us you know our parents and grandparents of all colors across the world get through these stereotypes and all of these different things so i've been listening to a lot of stevie wonder you know the the, the, the stevie wonder especially the songs in the key of life you know yeah. is a record that everybody should be listening to right now that song it's almost like that record could be released right now all the words all of the 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 just everything, man. It's, it's speaking to the world right now. And it's funny. It's because it's the same thing over again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if you listen to that, right, you would be so inspired because, first of all, it's like some of the craziest production on there and the instrument, the, 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 some of the instrumentation and, and all of that stuff, man. It's really unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the words, you know, all of the song, Love's in Need of Love Today. You know, I wish, you know, it's just, you know, you know, don't forget superstition, all those songs, man, what they're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's I just, mean, you're talking about it. They're talking about real shit. Like what you're saying about some of the music that that's really popular in the biggest artists today. What are they're not really using that platform no. as, as a way to get a positive no. message. Which, out, no, which you know? to me is a big, is a bigger problem that you're feeding. You're rec you're really, recreating uh, a, a whole nother monster just of people like just just you know around the positiveness you know the positivity and the you know just the the overall love and respect for one another you know if i write a song you know about bitches and hoes and sluts and so on so that's what the younger people are going to think about you know women <laughs> you know right. It perpetuates. Yeah, it just, that's it, just it, what it, the yeah, teenagers yeah. and they're going to grow up and that's how they're going to talk to these women and that's how they're going to talk to their wives and girlfriends and so forth, you know? Whereas when you, and it's funny, when you listen to James Brown records, right, and Stevie Wonder and and even Michael Jackson, John Lennon, and all that, like they were calling each other brother and sister, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because in those times, you know, it was, you know, you know, cracker color person n-word this and that all oh, that's what people addressed each other as <laughs> yeah. back in those days so they decided right. like we're not going to do that we're going to be you know brother and sister to each other hey brother and you'll hear that all throughout the records hey brother let me ask you a question hey brother and sister hey sister you know so yeah. that's what's really needed right now you know in the world there's more of that you know yeah, a hundred percent, man. I hope that 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 trickles over. You know, I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, because people, you see artists using like social media to take a stand, right? But but not necessarily the music. Yeah, I wonder why that is. You know, like people aren't afraid to, but but when it comes down to selling records, there's a formula still. Well, I mean, that's what they think, but look at maybe that's why the business is actually struggling you know what i'm saying yeah and yeah. especially after this whole pandemic you know who knows where the business is going to be because now everybody you know learning how to like do things on their own <laughs> right yeah i mean right. it's just yeah. kind of like oh wow i don't need you for this i don't need you for that you know it's just all around yeah. you know i don't have to give yeah. up this much money and this much equity to to actually go just record music and make some money weekly, daily. Totally. 
you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I was talking about this with Anders Osborne a couple of weeks ago, wondering like if it's going to kind of eliminate some of that, that, you know, cut off some of the fat in the music industry, you know, cause, because we're all realizing that we can do so much on our own now, you know, and is, is it going to look different when this is all over? I wonder. Oh, it's going to look way different, man. You know, yeah. and I think it's all for the better. It's going to look way different because I just mm -hmm. think, you know, as musicians, I mean, everything from like ticket prices, what we're charging, what we're doing, how much we're spending, how much everybody's spending, what's all of us going, how much you have to give up, how many people you got to hire. I think everybody's really took all of that stuff for granted, you know, and it's going to be yeah. a time. And I just think it's going to be for the better, you know. I mean, yeah, man, I hope so. You know, it's kind of like, hey, do I really need to go stay at the Four Seasons? I really got to have my agent, you know, negotiate, you know, 10 rooms at the Four Seasons and lobster and steak, <laughs> you know, and I want oh, 10 lobsters and I want this and I want that, you know, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a, a lot of that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, it's like, hey, somebody call you and they, hey, man, I want you to play on a track. Uh, hey, I'm giving you the name to like my agent, my manager, my assistant. You got to talk with them. It's like, right. what? <laughs> Meanwhile, now, you know, you can get anybody on the phone, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. and then everybody's, like I said, it's like back to the beginning, you know, everybody's like, hey, man, you want to make some music? Sure. Yeah, you want right. to, hey, you want to get jam on Zoom? Hey, no problem, man. It's like back to when you were 19, man, 16 again and broke, you know? there's a purity to it you know it, it's it's that part of it is cool you know it's it's a little uh like the the curtain's been pulled back on it and it's just it's it's real and raw you know and i like that aspect of it and hope that some of that so like trickles into the whatever it's going to look like when this is over yeah i just think it's like along like the what you you know like it's just going to go back to that whole just fun, make music, everybody again, fans come out and have an honest good time, you know? I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's weird, but, uh, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, man, it's kind of like, man, remember when the world was going through all of these different times, man, the Grateful Dead decided this, you know what, we're going to start a scene, man. There's a new people that don't want the ordinary status quo, man. We're going to go out and we're going to form our own world, you know, yeah. and you know, and, and, and look at how many people, you know, latched on to it and just travel with those dudes and clothes mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, the they, whole thing. Yeah, yeah, like I'm sick and the hippies go, hey, let me give you some of this, you know, pineapple and licorice <laughs> stick, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, you know, like oh, you're not man. feeling well here, yeah, have a little bit of this. Okay, cool. Next thing you know, you're like, wow, really? I don't got to go to the doctor and get five shots? No. Nah, I don't need a vaccine? No. Nah. Okay, cool. <laughs> wow, look at all this. And I tell people today, I said, man, you don't even know how much crap I learned from hippies, man, these last 20 years. You know? <laughs> I was like, I'll never forget, man. The first time I heard of, heard of wheatgrass. I was like, what? What the hell is wheatgrass? <laughs> yeah. It was like going to, you know, we were playing in Boulder, Colorado, and somebody's like, and, and like, yeah, we got it. And I was like, I, I remember going into like a juice shop, and I was like, I really need a juice for so and so. And the lady goes, Yeah, you shouldn't, you need a shot of wheatgrass. I was like, Wheatgrass? What the hell is that? <laughs> I never heard of that. They don't sell that anywhere. Like, yeah, it really 
someone's oh man it opens you up man it's just all these certain things man it's like yeah, yeah. you know and like i tell people too man a lot of people that have prejudices and and stuck in these sort of old ways those are the people that you know do not travel you see what i'm saying exactly like yeah. because and i tell people i'm like listen there's no way you travel because if you travel first of all you you would even though america is great you would you would you, if you travel the world you would come back here and the only thing you would say is like I really like it here, but this is not the greatest place on earth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there's so many other great things going on all around the world. And those Asians or these Africans and those Indians and these people wouldn't be these stereotype things that you and your yeah. friends have been used to talking amongst yourselves about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause it's an ignorant thing. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't really know what you're talking about. You have no you just, clue. You have these preconceptions and these fears and whatever insecurities. Yeah. And it's, it comes out as hate and it's just, yeah. it's got to stop, you know? And that's one yeah. thing. The world's such a smaller place now. Yeah, with it's easier to travel, or at least it was, you know. And yeah. Whenever this this thing is over, it'll be easy again, hopefully. But uh, with technology, it's so easy to see what's really going on all over the place. It's not just some you know fairy tale land a million miles away. You know. I know, and, you know, and that's really the thing that you know, like I tell people, I'm like, listen, just get on a plane. And go and travel to some of these places. You will you will be so inspired when you come back. You wouldn't even think that you wouldn't even think the same way with that nonsense. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. It's like, and that's and and that's really the contributing factor to a lot of this sort of you know racist stuff. You know what I'm saying? You can tell the people who just like I like it down here in the south. And I want my Confederate flag. You know. And it's funny because I had an argument with somebody the other day and they were like, you know, trying to, you know, uh, uh, yeah, man, you don't understand, man. My, I mean, the guy was just going off and off and off. They're taking out my Confederate history. And I just calmly asked him, I said, so what are you, so, so what are you protecting again? He's like, yeah, man, my family, man, we, that was a Confederacy, man. And we had farms and we had this. And I just said, well, let me ask you a question. Like, well, who the hell worked on those farms, man? And, <laughs> You know, what people were, tell me what people worked on these so-called farms for free and were tortured and beaten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and he, yeah. and he got so quiet. I was like, that, that's what I'm talking about, man. That's what you guys yeah. understand. You know, it's like you guys, it's like, there's nothing wrong. Hey, you, you know, you like the South. You like this thing. I like, I like the South too. You like this and like that. There's many things wrong with the world, but those things you, if you, don't want to be a racist person. You got to leave that crap alone, man. Like, yeah, that's what it was about. You know, <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about yeah. we wanting to keep our slaves and keep it the way it was. We don't want our slaves speaking up. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you don't know. It's like, well, actually, I do. I have firsthand stories because all of my aunts who are like 90 something. Don't forget, even after slavery, they were so-called sharecroppers. You know, it's just like, I'm there like, what are you talking about? I'm like, all right, let me explain to you. Like, how long did it take for your grandmother to get a cell phone? Right? The grandmother liked using the same, the same phone on the wall with the long cord for years, the same landline. And so you say, <laughs> Grandma, you know, there's a whole world of people out there using a cell phone. You know, I could actually call you. If you take this with you, I could call you when you leave the house. Right? <laughs> so in those times, even though people would be like, 
slavery was over. I'm like, do you know down many back roads, there were still functioning plantations? <laughs> I'm like many, like hundreds of them all across the South and across in other countries, right? So, cause those people, that's all they knew and they were there, right? Right. You know, right? There was no internet back then, right? They didn't have TVs. They knew they lived there. And somebody told them like, hey guys, you know, you guys can get paid. We'll pay you $5 a week, <laughs> right. you know? But I got to charge you two to $3 for rent. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you still was nobody. And you bet not leave here because if we catch you leaving town, you know, oh, Mr. Boss man going to kill you. And that's just all there was. That's all anybody knew. That's, you know? that's all it was, bro. And, you know, and they, it's just a different time now. And the world has to wake up, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I really hope that they are, man. You know, one of my favorite gigs uh, that's such a good example of like music, you know, knocking down walls and unifying shit is that gig we played at the Apollo. Yeah. You know, with, with the family band and Kraz and Nikki and Talib. Yeah. The Harlem gospel choir. I mean that, that I wish we could do something like that right now. You know, I wish there were people doing shit like that right now. More of that going on. Well, I and, and maybe there will be, hopefully there will be. Yeah. Well, I think if, if we weren't stuck in this time that we're in now, you would see yeah. a lot of that, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's just sort of preventing, a lot of what's going that's really what's you know preventing a lot a lot of people really coming together in bigger crowds uh, yeah. musically and speaking up you know you would see a lot a, a lot more of these things you know and i think when this is all over i don't think it's gonna stop you know i don't think it's gonna because i, I yeah. think for the first time the the majority people's kids you know People that just said enough is enough, man. This is just crazy what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, I hope you so, know? man. And I, I really, I really thank you for taking the time to chat with me about so all this. So that's really what's and, going and, on. Here. So, oh, hey, hopefully the world, you know, can change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, you know, um, like I said, I, I, thanks again for, for taking the time and, and talking about all this shit with me. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I look forward to seeing you on the other side and making some music with you, man. Yeah, man. I can't wait, man. Let's do it, bro. Thanks a lot. Well, there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of songs that saved me with Robert Randolph. And if you're liking what you're hearing, go give us a follow on Instagram at songs that saved me. Don't forget to leave us a review right here in the Apple Podcast Store. And stay tuned for lots more on the way here on Songs That Saved Me.